Hi, and welcome to the GC Podcast. So I'm going to start today by telling you a story. A story about first impressions and why they aren't always what they seem. So as most of you will know, I'm married, married to Leo, who's helpfully doing the slides today. This isn't just an excuse to share a wedding photo. Um, but uh, we met, so Leo's Chilean, if you don't know, and for most of our relationship before we got married, he lived in Brazil and I lived in York which is unusual, I would say. Um, and it meant we got quite a few questions about our relationship because we didn't see each other that often in person, lots of long plane flights and lots of uh, you know, video calls. And people would ask, you know, sometimes you know, thinking it was a great thing and sometimes thinking we were a little bit mad, like, why do you do this? Um, and one of the things that people would sometimes ask was like, oh, was it like love at first sight? Is that why? And I can let you in on a secret today. It was not. <laughs> For both of us, this isn't just me having a go at Leo. Um, so let me take you back to the end of August 2013, to Bolivia, to this polarised photo of our face, which is probably for the best. We're, it's about 10 years ago now, and it's, um, yeah, interesting. Um, and so we were in Bolivia. We were there because we were joining a Christian school where we'd learn more about the Bible, more about faith, and try and live that out in different ways. And it was our first day of this, and there were students who were joining from all different countries, and most of us didn't know each other before. So we had this kind of awkward situation. People had different first languages. We all knew we were going to have to spend the next five months together all the time, but didn't know each other yet. And so we were trying to get to know each other. And me and Leo were reacted to this in different ways, I would say. So for 18-year-old me, that meant being like a little bit over the top, trying to talk to everyone all at once, very giggly, which if you know me is in character. Um, and also probably a little bit over familiar because I was like, be my friend and like, let's pretend we're already friends and that will make this good, right? Um, 18-year-old Leo reacted a little bit differently. So he was a little bit more reserved wanted to kind of scan the room, see who he wanted to talk to most and get to know people sort of one at a time. And what this meant was that our first impressions of each other probably weren't the greatest. He thought I was a little bit over the top, might cause a bit of trouble. And I was an angel, so it's not true. Um, and I at times thought he was a little bit rude. <laughs> so it was topped off by the fact that one day we went in within the first week we went to go and answer the front gate together um and he was coming from one direction I was coming from an other from the other we met at the gate this could be the start of a romantic scene in a movie um and we went to look at the gate and I stepped back to let him do it because he spoke Spanish and I really didn't and he just turned to me and goes can you not even open a gate <laughs> love at first sight um, we will move on from this story soon. I'll stop the self-indulgence here. But <laughs> a few weeks in, we realized that we were going to have to spend a whole Saturday together. Um, and so we, the way the place worked was that you, uh, every Saturday, people would go off and do what they wanted. But two of you had to stay on the base um, and answer the phone and 
let any visitors in and also just clean the whole big place. Um, and I looked and it was me and Leo who were down to do this together all day. And I knew no one else would be there. We'd have jobs to do all day. And I was like, oh no, what are we going to talk about for this whole day? Um, by the fact that we're married, you can probably guess it wasn't the worst Saturday of my life. Um, and instead I got to know him. I found out that he was funny. He made me laugh. I found out uh, more about him and his family. And when I tripped and cut open my toe, for the first of about three times in six months, I think. Um, he was really helpful and, and helped me out. So suffice to say, the lesson was that first impressions aren't always what we think they're gonna be. And I think most of us can probably think of a time where that's been the case for us with someone we've met or a situation we've been in where someone's done something that surprises us, that makes us think differently about them. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on here in this passage, what's going on here for us with the passage and also what's happening with Moses and God, Yahweh, in the passage. So at this point, Moses is learning more about who Yahweh is. He's learning more about God. And we also are because we hear this version of God sharing with us who he is and it makes us stop and think about how we see him. And so I think it's helpful that the passage starts by echoing things we might expect, things we might know, things we've looked at already that he's loving, that he's forgiving. But then there are elements of it that make us think like Hannah was talking about last week with the fact that he is loving, but also there is an anger, that he is forgiving, but also there are things that we do that anger him or, or upset him. And I think it's good that it shocks us. I think it's good that it makes us stop and have a double think about who we think of God as being, because it's important that we understand that more. I think if we just stop and see a passage like this and think, oh, I'm not quite sure what that means, and we don't lean in and try and understand it more, then we're going to miss something about who God is. It can be tempting to read passages like this and just quote verse 6, maybe verse 6 and 7 and a half, and then leave off the bit about generational punishment um, and kind of and try not to look at it. But if we want to grow and mature in our faith, if we want to be disciples who make disciples, we can't just ignore the bits of the Bible that make us feel uncomfortable because sometimes those are the bits that really teach us a lot about who he is. And let's be honest, those might be the bits that people ask us about. They might be the bits that people bring to us. And so we want to be able to understand them and to bring them, but also to be able to deepen our faith ourselves to understand. I think it's a verse that this is the verse that I think Luke said in his talk where that the Bible quotes the most itself. And it's an example of God literally telling us about himself. And so I think it's a verse that's a really good place for us to start with understanding that. And so I'm going to ask us to do something together briefly. So if just for a couple of minutes in little groups on where you're sat, if you could read the passage through together, uh, it should be up on the screen. And then if you can, so read it together and then just share quickly your thoughts um, about those kind of last couple of verses, verse seven, what's in it. And if you were reading this at home by yourself, what would you be thinking? What would you do to understand it better? So get out the verses and have a little read through in groups where you are.
Great. Hopefully that started some conversations. You might be able to share some tips around things you do that are helpful. And your answer may have been, I don't know. And that's fine. That's why we're here today to have a look at it together. Um, so we're going to move around the passage quite a lot today. So bear with me as we go. We'll look at all the different bits, but not quite in order. So, um, but, so I'll start by filling, just reminding us of the story so far. So, so far we've seen that Yahweh is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Yes, there are other spiritual powers out there, there are other gods around, but why would we give them any of our attention when Yahweh is so good? But as we've just seen when we look at it, the second half of the verse takes a bit of a twist. Uh, and like the end of a TV series, we've left the twist, the juicy bit for the last episode. So let's start there. Let's start with the uncomfortable bit. What can we learn about Yahweh's character here? What this is not saying is that God punishes us for what our parents and grandparents did. Now that might sound entirely contradictory to what we've just read, so bear with me as we unpack this. But I don't think that in the context of the bigger story of the Bible and our bigger understanding of scripture and who God says he is, that what God is saying is that he's going to punish us for things that are out of our control and out of our choices. My granddad, this is a, you know, a light version of what this could look like. My granddad tells us his story. So he's from the East End of London. He left school when he was 14, but really I think stopped going about the age of 12. Um, and he must've been about 17 where he was caught not paying his train ticket on a train. And they must've taken this really seriously because they took him to court in front of a judge, which feels like an overreaction. Um, he probably did look a bit dodgy. And the, the only reason they let him off was because he was joining the Navy the next day. So they thought, oh, well, they'll sort you out and send him off there. But what I don't think the passage is saying is that I now should be punished for my granddad not paying his train ticket. And there are much broader contexts for this than that. And the reason why is that, as I said, when we look at these verses, we need to look at the bigger context of the Bible. We look at it in the whole story of what we're learning about who God is. And so what we can see as we do that is that this isn't part of God's character to punish us for things that aren't in our control and we didn't make choices around. And so let's have a bit of a look at some of the Old Testament scriptures that are similar to this. So if we could have the next one. Uh, so in Jeremiah 34, this one already feels a bit like a contradiction in itself. Um, so it says, you show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of the children after them which is quoting this passage that we're looking at. But then later on in green, you can see it says, your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. So how can they both be true? How can it be in the same sentence that one is saying the punishment for the parents' sins comes into the laps of the children and the next bit is saying that he rewards each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. To me, that starts me thinking that there's got to be something more here than what we might see on the surface. So we'll look at the next scripture, which is from Deuteronomy. So similar, uh, so Deuteronomy kind of repeats a lot of, of what was said in uh, Exodus, which is where the passage that we're looking at today is from. It says, parents are not to be put to death for their children, 
nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. We're going to sidestep the whole each will die for their own sin today because I think we've got enough to look at. Um, but it's quite clear that parents shouldn't be punished for what their children do and children shouldn't be punished for what their parents do. And then there's one more in Ezekiel, which is a bit later in the story of the Israelite people. Again, we'll sidestep the death. But the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So again, the theme is we'll be looked at on the weight of what we've done, but not because of what our parents have done. And our future generations wouldn't be looked at because of what we've done. So with that context, then when we come back to this, how do we understand it? How does that change how we see this passage? So you'll notice this translation of the passage might be a little bit different to the ones that we've read before, the ones that uh, you looked at as you were reading it just now. Our Bibles are all in translation, so they are all getting the best meaning out of the original text that they're taking it from. Um, and that does mean that sometimes the translations go in slightly different ways or highlight slightly different things. And from the reading around this, this uh, translation is probably the closest to what the original meaning was. And it says, I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. And although that still brings a similar point, the meaning behind the words and the way it's looked at in the Hebrew means, means that... <laughs> a natural segue you'll see it coming guys um so it means uh that it's more about the impact that the entire family is affected by the choices that are made by the people before the sins of the parents and are do impact the children and the grandchildren everyone they do have a weight and a consequence but the idea isn't about specifically punishing generations and generations into the future because um, because of a choice that someone in the past made, but it's more that idea that the things we do have consequences and do lead on into the lives of those who come after without Jesus and without us bringing those things to him. And so we know family can have a big influence on us from the big things and the, the deep things to, you know, the superficial things like how we look, which is where these next slides are coming in. Um, so we sometimes see in genetics, don't we, that we say parents look like children. Um, and so, and you get headlines that are saying things like, oh, shock that the celebrity parent looks just like their celebrity child. Um, and so I thought we could do a bit of that today. Uh, so we've got some examples here. If you can see them, good luck. Um, if you want to shout out, if you know who the parent is, bonus points if you get the child. <laughs> I like the confidence though. What is in fact Jay-Z, but who is he with? Very good. Can we see who is on the side? Reese Witherspoon, very good. That's her daughter, Ava. I had to Google the child children's names most of the time. And then there's one more slide. Yeah, Meryl Street and her daughter, uh, Mamie Gummer, I think. It's a tricky name to say. Uh, and then we've got, at the end, very good, thank you. 
So this conversation reminded me of there's another great photo coming up. So the conversation around your parents and your behavior reflecting what your parents did uh, reminded me of a few years ago when me my, my and my mom were in a bookshop together and we found a book uh, that I thought was the next book she needed to read. Uh, so it was called The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read and Your Children Will Be Glad That You Did. Uh, and I think it's got done the rounds a few times now, but at the time I found this in the shop and just thought, I just handed it to my mum and said, there you go. And in my very classic mum style, she turned to me and said, I think it's too late for you. <laughs> but I guess all of this is to say that we know that we pick up the traits of the people who brought us up, uh, whether that's biological or not. But the way they live their lives impacts on us. So my mum is adopted and I've grown up very close with my grandparents on her side. And so even though I'm not biologically related to them, I picked up a lot of their traits and a lot of their habits because I spent so much time with them. I guess similarly with that, I also know the impact that you're, the people who have come before you can have, even if you've never met them, even if you don't know them, there's still a feeling of, of a link to them. Whoever brought us up, we'll find ourselves saying the same things they did, carrying on family traditions, cooking the same meals. We might hear ourselves saying things that we vowed never to say. Um, or like me, and this is where I should stop blaming my parents and just sort myself out, but I find it really hard to get to places on time because as a family, we never got anywhere any earlier than 20 minutes late. And so does anyone else not know what to do when you get somewhere early? <laughs> Thank you. They're like, I can apologize for being late, but I don't know what to do before the thing starts. <laughs> um, and there will be some more serious things. So things like, you know, inherited health conditions or a predisposition to addictions. We pick up good things and we pick up bad things. And even if we think we're completely different or we try to be really different to people who have come before us and brought us up, we know that the decisions that they make do impact us. And that can be really positive ways and it can be in tricky ways too. There might be the times they lost their temper or when they spent more time at work than with us or when they weren't there at all, or when they made just bad decisions in their lives, there's often then an impact that echoes into ours. And that's what this is saying, that the sins, and the sins committed by parents will impact the children and the grandchildren, that when we make poor choices in our lives or, or turn away from God in our lives, that there will inevitably then be an impact Again, unless we bring them to God, unless we bring them to Jesus. And so this might bring up some difficult things for us. It might ask us to recognize some patterns of behavior or some habits in our own lives or our own families that are unhelpful. Um, and it might cause us to remember past difficult situations. And it is going to ask us to think about the impact of the way we live and, and the decisions that we make. And it's really important that we bring those to God, that we bring them to Yahweh, and there's going to be plenty of space for us to do that later today. Um, but before we get there, we've, I just want to make it clear, also this is really not the key point of the passage. This isn't meant to be the thing we center on. The headline isn't that sometimes families do unhelpful things and, and make it hard. The headline is what we can take away from the whole verse, that we learn more about Yahweh's character and who he is. What we need to remember is this, that it's Yahweh's character to set us free from sin, to set us free from the things that are difficult, the things that make things hard. 
He is loving and forgiving and just. And all of this combines to a God who won't stop until we are free. He sees the impact that our choices have on us and, that the, and on the lives of those around us. And he doesn't want to just sit back and let us get on with it. He keeps calling us away from sin and back to him. And he won't stop till we're free. And I think maybe this is where our reaction to these verses and that of the Israelites at the time might be a bit different. I think the things that we're shocked by and the things that shock them are probably the other way around. The Israelites didn't have the narrative of Jesus, although they did know Yahweh as the God who had set them free from slavery in Egypt. But their context was that they were surrounded by nations who worshipped tyrannical gods, who changed their minds on a win, who demanded sacrifice of humans even. They were used to a narrative of gods who would demand, who made demands and made judgments. But not of a God who shows love and forgiveness and even justice. But in our context, it can be uncomfortable to even recognize that there's a concrete right and wrong. To acknowledge that by ourselves, we can mess up and that we do need rescuing. And so the language of these verses has a different effect for us. But it doesn't change who Yahweh is. He sees the impact that our choices have on our lives and on the lives of those around us. And he doesn't just sit back and let us get on with it. He keeps calling us away from sin and back to him. And he won't stop until we are free. So what is he calling us into freedom from? If I'm honest, I had to do a little bit of research to better understand the words here. So the verse says, I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Uh, so they're similar, and it's okay. We don't need to un like break up all the difference, but they are different Hebrew words. Uh, so iniquity is more like those concrete moral wrongs that we're probably all agreed should not be done on a good way of behaving. So um, something like murder. Rebellion is much more about breaking a rule or going against authority. Uh, maybe like when I'd shout back at my dad when I thought he was being unreasonable. Sometimes rebellion against humans can be a good thing. We know human power is not always perfect and right. Um, but it's different when that's a rebellion against Yahweh, against our God who is perfect and infallible. And then there's sin, which is probably the most familiar language that we use often and yet the hardest to define. Uh, it's most commonly thought of as breaking sort of moral or religious law. Essentially, it's missing the mark on what we're meant to be doing and choosing to go against God rather than to submit to him. The thing itself might not be inherently wrong, but, the, but it's not what God's asking us to do. It's not what he's calling us into. And so it can be uncomfortable to stop and dwell on these things and to think about them. Um, but... I think it's an important moment for us to remember occasionally to pause and to stop and to think because I think we can easily jump to the fact that we are forgiven and we are set free and that is so important and that is the message that we want to go away from this from. But sometimes we can jump there so quickly that we forget that we do need freeing, that we do need setting free, that there are things that matter and there are times where it's good for us to just pause and to remember that. I think the next question is then why? Why does that matter? So the passage says, I do not excuse the guilty. 
And the reason it matters to God is that he's a God of justice. He cares when one child, one of his children causes harm to themselves or to another. It can feel a little bit uncomfortable or out of place today. We might just want to skip to the part where he forgives and he does forgive and he does welcome us back in. But it isn't out of place, this sense of, you know, justice, of not wanting things to be just let go, even in our society today. We cry out when we see things that don't feel right, that feel out of place. That's why there's such an outcry about human trafficking, about poverty, about knife crime, some of the movements we've seen like Me Too or Black Lives Matter or uh, different things that are going on. It's where we find ourselves saying, how does God allow this to happen? And all of this angers and saddens Yahweh too. It also angers him and saddens him when his, when his children are living in ways that harm others and there's nothing happening about it. And of course it would. If it hurts us, it hurts him too. So of course there's this line about him not excusing the guilty, about him, about him having justice. In the same way that a parent would want to punish or, or bring back a child who has done something they shouldn't not out of malice, not out of vindictiveness, but out of love. And that's a lot of what Hannah was talking about last week. It's to help us understand that it's harmful or that our actions have consequences, to stop us, to help us stop making the same mistakes time and time again. He cares when we do things that harm us because he knows that there's an opportunity for our lives to be free of that and to be free in him. And if, what makes Yahweh's character amazing is that he notices all of these things. He's a just God who cares about all of this. And yet, that's not where, that's not where we're left. In the Hebrew, the, this section is written poetically. So the first sentence balances out the last. The I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations balances with even children in the third and fourth generations. Um, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand is to the thousands and the thousands. His love is to the thousands. And the sense of um, sin staying around is to the third and to the fourth generations. It's much more limited with the idea being that his love is so much stronger. That whilst Yahweh is just, his loving nature far outweighs it. And in this passage, Yahweh is giving us a more complete understanding of his character. Yes, he cares about sin. Yes, he is just. But his love outweighs that a thousand times and he will forgive us again and again. We might think we understand God's love and yet no matter how many times we come back to it, there's always more for us to learn. The more normal or mundane our perception of God's love has become, the more we need to revisit our understanding of it. Because it's mind-blowing that creator God, who knows all of us, our best and our worst, chooses to love us. Because Yahweh is loving, he chooses to lavish his unfailing love on us. And the Hebrew word for love that's used here, it has no vowels. Um, so it's N-T-S-R, I don't know, which is to protect or to guard. It's the Hebrew word we translate to lavish unfailing. 
God doesn't just love us. He actively protects and guards his love for us. He chooses us and then he chooses us and then he chooses us again and again and again. And he keeps on actively choosing to love us and to guard his love for us. And it's this unfailing, steadfast, guarding love combined with his understanding of the weight of sin, which means that Yahweh won't stop until we are free from the sin that, call, that holds us captive. We might have seen something of this in our family relationships where we might choose to love and keep on loving even where it doesn't feel like we want to do that. But our best understanding is just a glimpse of what God's love is like. Because his love never wavers and he doesn't give it reluctantly. He keeps it for us, he guards it and he lavishes it on us. And there's more. Because this passage says that he extends his love to thousands, to a thousand generations. Whilst he does love each of us individually and personally, his love is so much bigger than that. He doesn't just love me. He doesn't just love those of us who are in this room today. He loves thousands, including whoever we deem unlike us, unworthy, unlovable. His love is bigger and wider than ours or than our moral and political understanding. It goes beyond all expectation and understanding. And it's this unfailing, steadfast, guarding love, which means that Yahweh won't give up until we are free from anything that holds us back from him. So what does this look like? We're coming into land. Forgiveness. It says, I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. The Hebrew word for forgiving here is NASA, like the space station. It means to carry away. It's not just choosing to ignore or to overlook, but to remove our wrongdoing from us completely. It's such an echo of Jesus, of his death and resurrection. And yet Jesus' character is Yahweh's character. It didn't start with Jesus. It's always been there. Yahweh is forgiving. He's not a tyrant king or a scheming politician. He isn't like the other gods that the Israelite nations would have heard of. Forgiveness, like love, is part of his character. And his character doesn't change. He doesn't forgive us reluctantly or out of obligation. It's not half-hearted, but active. He's not obliged to do anything, but he does stay true to who he is. And as we've seen, he is the God of compassion and mercy. He is loving and he is forgiving. Which means that he is a safe place to bring the times we mess up to. He's a safe place to bring our rebellion, our iniquity, our sin to. He's a safe place to recognize the things that have passed through the generations of our families. David, the second king of Israel, who put together most of Israel's national songbook uh, way before Jesus was alive, puts it well in a psalm that includes today's passage and also some more. He, Yahweh, made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And this forgiveness means that we are no longer tied to the habits and the characteristics that have caused us to sin before. That we don't need to continue the patterns that we've seen in generations before us or to repeat the patterns that we see in ourselves. It gives us freedom to leave those things behind. We bring them to Jesus, to Yahweh. We ask him for forgiveness. And it's in his character to set us free. And yet we know that this can be easier said than done. We know that leaving behind these things can be really hard. And that's why it's important that we bring them to him, that it's an ongoing process of bringing them back to him and coming back to him with these things, that we invite him into it. That we don't try and do it alone, but we frame it in the context of who he is. Because it's not about us being perfect people, but a people who bring their sin and their struggles to Yahweh and ask him for forgiveness. This passage isn't really about us at all. It's about him, the one God above all others, the God of compassion and mercy, who is slow to anger and unfailing in love and faithfulness, who lavishes love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion and sin, but not excusing the guilty. And this God Yahweh, he's worth trusting. He's worth the effort, the uncomfortability and the change. The things that feel impossible on our own can be dealt with as we recognize them for what they are and bring them into, out of the darkness and into the light before God. The things that feel too big or too hard are never too much for him. It's Yahweh's character to set us free from sin. He is loving, forgiving, and just. And he won't stop until we're set free. And so, we're invited today to bring Yahweh, to bring God into the areas where we need and want to see more freedom in our lives. These things might feel big and obvious. There might be patterns that we've been struggling with in our lives for a while. There might be things that we've thought of from our family patterns. They might be small and feel quite inconspicuous. There might be that little bit of boredom or apathy with our faith or our time with God and how understand. It might be a small switch in understanding who He is. Today we have an invitation. We have this every day, but particularly we're doing it together today to bring these things to Him, to bring them to the God who won't stop until we are free. And so in a moment, we're going to say some words to do this together and we'll move into communion together as well. Um, but first, let's just pause for a moment and just bring to mind the things that if there's something that's come to your mind already, bring that to God in this space. If there's not, then just ask him to speak with us in this space and ask him to show you more of who he is and what he's sharing with you. But let's just take a minute together. So there's an invitation here to say some words together and I think before we do it, it it's important for us to to know and to, to remember again that the idea of today isn't for us to feel bad or to feel like we're getting it all wrong but it's the opportunity is to bring things to God to bring them to him so that we can 
walk into freedom with him, walk into knowing him more and living with him more. And so that's what the opportunity is to do together today. And there'll be a bit more time to pray and to process and to think if that's helpful for you. Um, but there's an opportunity now, if you join with me in reading, we're going to read first the words in Psalm 103. So that Psalm I read earlier, we're going to bring those together. And then there's uh, some words that I've adapted slightly from the communion service that help us to ask for forgiveness together. Um, and so I'd love it if you'd join me in saying them. We practiced this earlier, so hopefully we'll do it okay. <laughs> 